Hey, hey, hey! Exciting news! Do you ever look in the mirror or at a photograph of yourself or put on some clothes? Or rather, don't put on some clothes because the clothes you really want to wear are hanging in the cupboard or buried in some bag at the back of the cupboard and your heart sort of sinks and you think... I know, I know I need to do different things. I know I need to do something different to lose the weight, to get healthy, to do all the stuff I want to get to, to what Dr. Alina calls healthy, amazing you. And yet somehow I can't do it. You, my friend, have what is called a doing gap. It's not a knowledge gap. It's a doing gap because you're busy and you've got other stuff going on. So the Radiate and Renew program starting, drum roll please, next week, we're kicking off on Tuesday next week. It's super exciting. You will learn to do four small but mighty habits that you are going to enjoy and it's going to be easy. Now the idea of this, there's two ideas behind it. Number one, you do the habits, in a year's time you've still got the habits and they really have moved the needle. You know, you're really doing things slightly differently. But also, once you start doing things differently, you realise that you can carry on doing things differently. And so you might decide, hey, I'm going to do the reboot or I'm going to do something else and I'm really going to get to the bottom of this goal. I'm going to reach my goal. So if you are interested, if you'd like some help and support, Radiate and Renew starts on Tuesday. I will leave the link in the show notes. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Fit and Fabulous with me, Dr. Orlina Carrick. I'm super excited. We have a guest today. I'm super excited to welcome Dr. Joan Ifland. Joan, welcome, welcome, all the way from the other side of the world. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Um, I'm joining you from the Pacific Northwest in the United States, and I'm really honored to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for coming. And I'm excited that you're, you're West Coast because I think of all those, I love swimming in the sea. And um, in, a, in a past life, I used to dive. I think of all those amazing sea creatures you have there and think, oh, I'd love to go and explore one day. <laughs> it's a very, very beautiful part of the world. The Pacific Northwest is rainforest, but it's cold rainforest. So there are a lot of plants here that are not uh, in the rest of the world. It's really, really cool. It is definitely on my bucket list. So today, what we're going to talk about is processed food and addiction to processed food. But before we dive in, would you just like to introduce people and tell people a little bit about why you are somebody that people should listen to? Uh, Okay. Well, I wrote the textbook for processed food recovery. And I'm one of two people in the world who has a PhD in addictive nutrition. Uh, me and Kathleen de Maison, who wrote Potatoes Not Prozac. So the textbook was a three-year labor of love, full-time, three years, to piece together what has happened to us. Uh, I also have to mention a way in my past, I just went to my 45th reunion, I have an MBA from Stanford, which for their many years, I wondered, what, why the heck did I go to that trouble? And now I know it's because pra- business practices, business models have made millions of people, really, two billion people around the world are now overweight or obese. And I think 
And then I looked at the evidence and I published on this that it's because there is an addiction business model used by uh, businesses selling uh, addictive products. So it was, it was really honed by the tobacco industry. And then uh, now it's used by alcohol and by cannabis and by vaping. All those industries use this. So addictive products don't have any value. People buy them because they're, um, they're because they're addictive. So um, in the mid 1980s, the tobacco industry brought their highly honed and uh, tragically effective addiction business model to process foods, and it all it all just starts from there. So I was raised in a violent household. Uh, my parents were ragers and very unpredictable behavior, and. Uh, Fast forward 44 years, uh, when I was 44 and I had two children, uh, 12 and uh, 11, uh, I was desperately doing everything I could to stop my own raging, and uh, nothing was working. I did therapy, and I did a women's healing group, and I was on my first 12-step group. When a woman in that group said to me, uh, I hear sugar driving your rage. I went and got the book, and I joined my second 12-step group, Food Addicts in Recovery. And I eliminated sugar and flour from my diet on January 1st, 1996, so almost 28 years ago. And uh, within three weeks, the raging had stopped. Wow, that's amazing. And you were very ahead of the ball in terms of sugar and flour. There was there were a couple of pioneers before me, Julia Ross and uh, Kay Shepard, uh, but they didn't get the rest of the picture. So it's also dairy. Dairy has case of morphine in it, and excessive salt, and excessive fat, and caffeine, of course, and then um, gluten, gluteomorphine, which does attach to the opioid receptors in the brain. And then uh, food additives. So this is the this is the tobacco model, where they you know isolated and added nicotine to the cigarettes, and they took the tobacco leaves and sugar, and they added pyrazine to all all in the uh, effort to make it more addictive. So when they got a hold of processed foods in the mid nineteen eighties, now all you have to do to understand what has happened to us as a world is think, hmm, why would Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds buy Nabisco and General Foods in three short years, 1985 to 1988? All you have to say, why would an addiction, you know, addiction means you have a worthless, destructive product, but you add addictive substances to it, you hide addictive substances in it, uh, and you sell it on the base of um, basis of the addiction addictive properties, uh, avo- uh, withdrawal avoidance, particularly. So uh, all you have to do is ask yourself why would that have happened, and then you can see what happened. Then you you're this the scales fall from your eyes, and you think, holy tamales, this is this is tobacco all over again with a couple of significant differences. So I got busy um, 
it, you know, the allergies went away and the lifelong sinus infection went away and the bloating went away and the cravings went away and the brain fog went away and then the fatigue went away. And I just like, okay, I'm like, I had this prestigious business degree, but I was too sick with allergies to go back to work after the, my two kids were born. So I got busy. I said, this is my new career. My, my husband was doing a great job of supporting the family. And uh, I'm going to adopt this as a career. I, the whole world needs to know that, particularly these refined carbohydrates are so destabilizing that when you crash, you become violent. There is violent behavior attached to it. So I, I wrote a popular book, which I don't recommend. It's not science fiction. <laughs> And there are big mistakes in it. And um, I, in the course of promoting it, I got invited, uh, I got interviewed to go on one of the big U.S. national morning talk shows. And then I got to the very last producer and he said, no, you don't have a degree in your field. So I said, well, dang, I'll go get one. <laughs> I grew up in a city called Cincinnati. And that is the headquarters of a big um, school for new fields. So I went there three years straight and earned this PhD in addictive nutrition. I finally figured out what an addiction is. It's simple. It's hyperactive reward centers. And they're putting out, those hyperactive centers are putting out so much neurotransmitter that neurotransmitters uh, uh, traveling right over to the behavior centers in the brain and um, latching on there and controlling behavior. That's it. It's a mechanical issue. It's not a moral issue. It's not a willpower issue. It's nothing. It's just that somebody's been exposed to substances or behaviors, because behavior is going to do it, that release, that, that train those reward centers to release enough neurotransmitter to dominate behavior. The other thing that's happening is that it's pulling the blood supply and the energy away from the frontal lobe, which is your braking system. No, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to eat that. That will hurt me. That will make me sick. That, uh, those cells are in the frontal lobe. But when you, when you have these hyperactive reward centers, uh, craving centers, then the, the frontal lobe doesn't get enough energy to put out enough neurotransmitter to control behavior. It's a competition. It's a fight. It's a battle between two centers in the brain. And the uh, when you are in a culture which is being dominated by this addiction business model, the, real, the craving centers will win over and over again enough to kill you. The 1.6 million Americans every year, four times worse than COVID, will die from this and call it diet, dying from diet-related diseases, but it's the inability to stop eating processed foods. Yes, yes. And so just a quick question about processed foods. They put all kinds of horrible things into processed foods. So it's not just refined carbohydrates. It's like other things that you look at the label and think, I don't even know what that is, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it's the, it's the five A's of the addiction business model. And the very first one is addictive product formulation, where you hide addictive substances in the product. Because if, 
people knew that those substances were in there, they wouldn't buy it. So like with, with tobacco, they had nicotine and pyrazine and sugar in the product. And when they came into processed foods, they hired a, a consultant with a Harvard PhD in experimental psychology and marketing, Howard Moskowitz. It's now worth $45 million. And he went around to all, and he had developed a method where he could maximize the amount of sugar, fat, salt in processed foods. And he, could, he figured out a method where he could maximize that before the consumer would detect it. And he went around and, you know, had green beans and pasta sauce, tomato sauce. All these products had the maximum amount of sugar, fat, and salt added to them. And so that's the first A, the, the addictive product formulation. And then the second A is youngest age that you can attack, that you can target. And with cigarettes, they tried the Joe Cool Camel cartoon. Cartoons for cigarettes that aimed at 10 year old boys. Well, with processed foods, you could go right into the uh, uterus in utero and start to predict a fetus based on what the mother was eating. And then it's advertising availability and affordability. You've got to be able to get your hands on the substance at the moment that the cravings are dominating your brain. And you've got to be able to afford to buy it. Uh, so when they were taking out the cigarette vending machines, they were putting in snack and soda vending machines. And then, um, and then you have to create dilution around it. So with cigarettes, you know, cigarettes are so repulsive, but they were able to make them sexy with Lauren Bacall. They were able to make them rebellious so the suffragettes would buy them. Uh, they were able to make them masculine so that, um, Men returning from World War II would buy Marlboros. It's just you have to create that delusion. So they've created all this delusion about how yummy and cheap, you know, inexpensive and convenient processed foods are. But they are killing us just like it's worse than cigarettes. Cigarettes, um, my friend uh, Robert Lustig has said, uh, we were healthier when we were smoking. Yeah. Because that's attack cell function. You know, oxygen deprivation, obviously, tar in the, in the lungs, emphysema, heart disease, lung cancer. But processed foods attack cell function in eight different ways. So every cell in the body is being systematically crippled. But the fun part of that, the flip side of that, is uh, so many, um, I mean, almost at all, I had a recovery community online for the last six years, I've seen mental disorders go into remission, all the physical disorders, behavioral disorders get into remission because, um, because these processed foods attack all cells. And so all cells get better. And dysfunctional cells, crippled cells, are the basis of disease. Yeah. So I mean, we just we have a lot of fun with this. It's just so fun to have people, you know, they've been told, oh, it'll be on this medication for the rest of your life or you'll have to manage this pain and then it just goes away that's amazing and and so it like on one level it sounds very easy what's the solution just stop eating them but i know that for some people it's just not as simple as that so for those people who um find it difficult how do you help them okay this is uh, i'm just so glad you're asking about this um it wasn't the writing of the textbook 
I got two huge epiphanies from writing the textbook, uh, doing the research for it. And one is that at this point, 35 years later, um, most people have this uh, severely. They, uh, so how do you know that you have a severe addiction? Well, the American Psychiatric Association has, has developed over 50 years, uh, 11 signs. And if you're experiencing six or more of those signs, you are considered to have a severe addiction. And that requires a very different kind of treatment, recovery approach, than a milder or moderate addiction. And if you want, I'll go over them. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah. We have, on our website, processfoodaddiction.com, you can go and you can take a, a quick self-quiz. It's not a diagnosis, but it's a self-quiz. And so um, I know which ones from, we've been collecting that data for years, which ones are most common. And it's unintended use, number one where you have a plan, I'm going to just eat one, you eat the package, or I'm going to eat clean today, and by 10 o'clock you're eating a, a, something processed. And number two is failure to cut back. And we see uh, in the United States, around the world, that obesity is getting worse and worse and worse. People cut back and then they regain but more, and they, or they, can't, they get to the point where they can't cut back anymore. And it, you see the obesity numbers just going up and up. In the United States, 44% of the country is now overweight or obese, and in other countries, it's worse. So um, that's number two, uh, failure to cut back. Number three is cravings, which do correlate with BMI. So we know that as these, these weight numbers increase, that the cravings are increasing too. The, the sixth one that I, that, that, sorry, the fourth one that I talk about a lot is um, use in spite of knowledge of consequences. So now doctors are warning people to lose the weight or, you know, your, your high blood pressure, your diabetes, your heart disease. These, these things are getting worse and people are still eating. Another one is, uh, the fifth one is tolerance, progressive use. And you see that over the entire population. So these are numbers that, that track back decades. And it used to be that people were eating 60% or 50% of their foods and processed foods. And now in the United States, it's 73%. Wow. So that's progression, that's tolerance over time. And then the last one is a withdrawal syndrome. So people report that when they... Um, and also processed foods, they have headaches, they have irritability, they have lethargy. And the way to flip that is if you're eating, but you're not hungry, if you're eating because you're so angry and you have to numb out, or you're so depressed and you have to numb out, or you're so tired, uh, that is drug use. That's not food use. So we think that, it, it, we don't think, I don't think, I don't offer opinions, I offer research. But when you look at the research for how prevalent those behaviors are, uh, it's, over in the United States, it's over 80%. Wow, that's amazing. Have those six um, signs. And so how do people stop? How do people bring it back? (laughs) So um, I can tell you, I'm sitting writing this textbook 
between 2014 and 20, um, 2014 and 2017. And I wrote a full chapter on each one of those 11 signs. What is the evidence that this sign, which is developed for alcoholism, what is the evidence that that behavior or that syndrome exists in overeating? So I wrote the first chapter and said, oh, yeah, everybody's got that. Second chapter, everybody's got that. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I'm writing this. I finished the sixth chapter and the oh, yeah, everybody's got that one, too. And it just is like a ton of bricks. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We're way past. Oh, this is just addictive. We have this enormous population of people who are now severely addicted, and that's why nothing is working. So I ran to the literature, and uh, I said, well, what do you do for severe addiction? Oh, oh, two years of residential treatment. (laughs) Well, we're not sending a couple hundred million people to two years of residential treatment. So what's the next level? And the next level is called intensive outpatient, where you go to the hospital for like six hours a day for six months or so. And I thought, oh, I wonder if we could offer that online. I turned in the manuscript in 2017, and at the end of 2017, I met Zoom. And I immediately thought, oh, we could offer the equivalent of intensive outpatient treatment over Zoom. Okay, so January 1st. Uh, 2018, I had had a daily phone call. As soon as I saw it, it was a severe addiction. I thought, oh, 90 meetings in 90 days. It wasn't nearly enough. It was not nearly enough. I had really loyal people registered for that phone call, and it just wasn't helping. So I said, will you guys come and volunteer uh, for on Zoom starting January, I think probably January 1st of 2018, six years ago. And they all came. There are 10 of them. And we stayed on Zoom all day. These are people who for 20, 30 years had never been able to eat a clean day of food without processed foods. And at the end of that first day, I went around the Zoom room and I said, so how'd you do with your food today? I ate clean today. I ate clean today. Yeah, I had a clean day. Uh, my first clean day in 20 years, I had a clean day all the way around the room. Fabulous. Now, at that point, I had been trying for 22 years, 14 major approaches to getting people off of processed foods, and they have all failed, like everything else out there was failing. And there they were. There they were. So we went through the whole week. They stayed sober, as I call it sober, for the whole week. And then we had paid uh, people we've advertised for the next week, same results. So I, I ran back to the research as what the heck happened. And I discovered mirror neurons. So there is a system in the brain which is higher than the addiction, higher than the cravings. So if you think of it like a hierarchy, it's like who's got control? Well, if you have a severe addiction, the, the craving centers, dopamine, serotonin, opioid, cannabinoid, those centers have control of behavior. Frontal lobe has lost control of behavior. It's a mechanical problem. It's not a moral problem. But there is a system that is higher than the craving centers. And that is the drive to belong, to fit in. So if you look through the evolution of humans, and this is evolutionary science, I acknowledge it's not creationist. 
the graciousness have a very similar thought framework, which is you've got to be in a tribe. If you look at the creationist literature, the first thing they say when they start talking about somebody is which tribe they belong to. It's very close parallel between those two other otherwise divergent fields of thought. So there's seven million years of evolution, human evolution. We don't have horns, we don't have fangs, we don't have claws, we don't have big muscles to run. But predatory animals see in silhouette. So if one human is standing with six other humans, an anthropologist said we, we evolved in, in groups of seven to 12 people. So but you will look like some enormous animal, especially if you're throwing rocks. And, the, and then the, the saber-toothed tiger will run away. So our very survival, if you were the kind of person who really liked to wander off by yourself, you did not survive, did not survive long enough to procreate. So in the human brain is, is dominated, dominated by the urge to belong. The human brain loves their humans, and so the human brain will lead a person to, to fit in by copying the behavior around uh, of the people around that person. It's a whole field. It's the field of mimetics, imitation. And that's what happened on January 1st, 2018. Those 10 people were in, and, and this is carried over screens. So those 10 people were in a group which was eating clean. And they all just, their, their, their loving brains said, oh, look, we're seeing these people all day long. We should do what they're doing. And they just, it was, it, what was impossible for decades for them became easy, automatic, instinctual, within hours of being on a screen with these people. So yes. We now, about six years later, we have an online community. It's, um, it's the Addiction Reset Community. It's the ARC. And, um, oh my gosh, what was impossible is now easy. Perfect, perfect. And where can people find out more about you and the services that you provide? So our umbrella website is processfoodaddiction.com. Uh, we also offer training, food addiction recovery advocate training. Um, if you are, you know, uh, in a position where you're telling people what to do and they can't do it. It's because there's a hidden barrier that uh, those cravings. So processfoodaddiction.com. The daily living community, the ARC, is at foodaddictionreset.com. The training is at foodaddictionrecoveryadvocate.com. And then we now, because we've seen so many quote-unquote incurable diseases go into remission, we have a whole separate community or a disease remission called remissionoptimistic.com. Perfect. Fabulous. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. It's been absolutely fascinating. Um, another person who is obviously following my my desire to teach people that healthy eating is easy and fun. 